Thank you, Susan. So let's just uh, continue to bring ourselves into this present moment. Um, I found these words from the book Walking with Wisdom by Nan Merrill. Resplendent and eternal is wisdom, readily perceived by those who listen in the silence of the heart. Wisdom hastens to make herself known. She is available to all who, look, who love and seek her, who awakens her from within, will not be disappointed. For wisdom awaits at the threshold. I love that line, for wisdom awaits at the threshold. And so as we come into the rest of our service together, it's the sense that we, we're sitting, wherever you are, sitting on the threshold of wisdom. And can we just open our hearts to that wisdom? So if it's helpful to you, just close your eyes for a moment and um, just start to bring your, uh, your awareness from your mind down into your heart and into your body. Feel all the dispersed energy, all the uh, chaotic parts of you, just draw them all in and let them find their place in your being, in your body. Just let go of any mental chatter and just sit there poised in the, three, in the middle of the three centers, mind, body and heart. Can you begin to feel the rhythm of your pulsing heart in your body? And the rhythm of your breathing. Can you sense your own inner aliveness, the life force in your body? And can you sense the inner aliveness of the person or the people next to you, the things next to you? Just get a felt sense of the surroundings. And so with an alert mind and an alert heart, an alert body, let's say together, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who, when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say things evil against you because of me. Well, last week um, I spoke about Jesus personifying that activating wisdom that's in the world. And if there's one passage in the New Testament that represents that activating wisdom, it is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, It runs over three chapters in Matthew's Gospel, uh, from chapters 5 to chapter 7, and includes the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, judging others, not worrying, loving your enemies, and many others. And I'm going to begin a series today on the Sermon on the Mount. Many of the so-called difficult teachings. And Jesus was writing not for people in just good times. This wisdom was intended to be used at all times, including difficult situations like the one that we face now. So often we think of spiritual wisdom as pointing towards improving our already fantastic lives, when in fact it's intended to help us through the darkest times. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and going up a mountain is often biblical code for having a big spiritual experience. And it comes in the Bible, it says, and then they went up a mountain you can guarantee there's going to be a spiritual experience. Moses went up the mountain uh, for both the burning bush and the Ten Commandments. Noah ended up on top of a mountain in the ark. Elijah went up a mountain for his still small voice. And of course, Jesus went up a mountain both for this and for his experience at the transfiguration. Incidentally, in the current situation, there's another bit of biblical code, 40 days, which tends to mean in the Bible, 40 days means an awfully long time. Noah was in the ark for 40 days. The Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. David and Solomon both reigned for 40 years. Jesus was in the desert being tempted uh, for 40 days. And we've now been in lockdown just over 40 days. In fact, the word quarantine comes from the the Italian quarantina, meaning 40 days. And that was the number of days that ships had to lay off the coast to prove that there wasn't plague on board. That's the origin of the word quarantine. But, But I digress. So back to going up a mountain as being biblical code for something important spiritually. And Jesus went up the mountain to deliver the Sermon on the Mount. The first part of which is the Beatitudes, blessed are the... And they all describe together um, aspects of the human character. If you put them all together, they're all aspects of the human character that Jesus is suggesting that it's fortunate to have. The word blessed actually means happy or fortunate, as in... Fortunate is the man who has the character of being poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and so on. So it's a fortunate thing. If you look at the Beatitudes, the first four Beatitudes are all about something in need, you know, spiritual need, um, poor in spirit, emotional needs, blessed are those who mourn, strength of character, the meek, um, and also physical needs, hunger and thirst. Um, and the fourth beatitude that links physical needs with social needs, it isn't just hunger, it's hunger and thirst after righteousness. So the first four of those beatitudes are about need. And the second verses, four verses, are about a capability of something. Mercy, pure feelings, making peace, and perfection. So those are the, the, the Beatitudes. We're going to start today with the first one, which is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Fortunate are those who are poor in spirit, for those who are the kingdom of heaven. The translation of spirit comes from the word pneuma, uh, which means breath, uh, the breath of life or divine inspiration, and really f- refers to what's called apophatic theology, uh, that theology that Cynthia Berger talks about, knowledge of God obtained through negation. In other words, knowledge of God obtained by saying, God is not this, not that, not this, not that. And as we go through that, God is not this. We empty ourselves out um, of our knowledge of God. And so we obtain true knowledge of God. Letting go of our thoughts, not this, not that. Our ideas about God, not this, not that. Our judgments, until there's nothing left. And in that emptiness, then God can come in and we can know the reality of life. So this is really about the character of being completely empty, of letting go of our preconceptions. Because once we let go of all our preconceptions that our mind has drawn about what it's all about, then we'll be able to truly grasp the kingdom of heaven. And what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven does not come from your careful observation, from your judgments, from your thoughts. It does not come from your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of heaven is within you. Let go of your preconceptions, and you'll have the kingdom of heaven, which is within us. In other words, heaven is this world clearly seen. So the start point from the Sermon on the Mount is really getting enlightened. In the very first verse, Jesus spells out what all the Buddhist, Hindus, Muslim, Taoist scriptures aim for, that emptiness of the mind that allows us to realize the reality of the eternal now. Letting go of all our thoughts to realize the universal mind that exists for us, all of us to experience. You know, Jesus might have ended on that note after three chapters about how to be an amazing human being and so on and so forth. And then he might end up by saying, let go of your judgments and realize that you're existing within that heavenly realm. Instead, he starts with that. He says, unknow everything and hear what I have to say, as in the cloud of unknowing. 
not knowing being the precursor to being able to hear about the nature of the universe. Unless you empty yourself of all your ideas, you'll not be able to hear anything that I've got to say. Because we are, as those were people, as, as people were in Jesus' day, we're all full of ideas about the way things are. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, we want to say, but, but, but what about Hitler? What about robbers? What about murderers and rapists? You know, our mind just goes on. Only when we've let go of those ideas can we really hear what we need to hear. And that goes for all of us now. You know, the interwebs are full of ideas as to what the pandemic really means to us. You know, what is the new normal, the reset, the start of something new, the end of bad things. But, you know, in reality, none of us has a clue. What we're being asked to do is to unknow what we think and see what we see, to be with how we are rather than predict what will come. Fortunate are those who do not pretend to know because they will know the kingdom of heaven. And of course, in that not knowing, you know, in the practice of it, we have meditation and yoga and prayer and walking and all the practices that we're free to use to, to, to free ourselves from the tyranny of the mind. But this is asking us not only to, to practice that, but also to live out the reality of it in our day-to-day -day living. It's not for us to know the meaning of things. As the psalmist says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And as Job says in the book of Job, incidentally, after about 40 chapters, surely I spoke of things, Job says, I do not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. And actually, once he admitted that, uh, it all came right in the last 12 verses of, of uh, the whole book. And after those last 12 verses, it says, he lived 140 years and saw his children and their children to four generations. So once he admitted that, then in the book, it all came right. Not to take it too literally, but this verse is really asking us not to know. The verse, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, is really saying, don't know what it's all about. We can think about it all, but there's a futility in trying to work it all out. When we don't try and we know, we're left with what is. We're left with our senses, with our feelings, with our aliveness, with our pneuma, our breath. And we experience the vitalness of being alive. That, says Jesus, is the starting point the entry point to his journey towards enlightenment. So he's setting the bar quite high in our own terms. And when we get, you know, three more chapters down the road, we get to know what and how and why. And it's good to us for realized, it's good for us to realize that the humility of not knowing puts us in the place to receive all the other things that are to come. We have to start with that not knowing. It puts us firmly in the present and forces us to look at our experience 
and our responses to all that's happening around us. Our attitude to our situation, to what we think are our problems, to those that we have around us, to those that we're in contact with, our attitude to the news, to politicians, to those on the front lines. It doesn't feel or seem at the moment very much like heaven. It often looks more like hell. But we're asked to not know and to be open-minded about what's in front of us. I read recently uh, on the internet a blog by Kim Coe, and she tells a good guru story. She said there was a guru who was visited by the region's most senior soldier, demanding to know what heaven and hell is if the guru is so wise. The guru says to the soldier, why would I waste my time on a brutal oaf like you? You're just a thug. Go away. At which point the soldier flew into a rage, shaking with anger. How dare you speak to me like that? Do you know who I am? That, said the guru calmly, is hell. The soldier was stopped in his tracks and got it fully. He bows to the guru and says, thank you. And that, says the guru, is heaven. Co says, unless we can observe and manage our unworkable behavior and pointless negative emotions, we cannot be free and we certainly cannot experience being in the now and one with the whole in heaven. The soldier went into that place where he realized that he really didn't know the difference between heaven and hell and was therefore confined to reactivity. And seeing that, he found peace. And we have the opportunity to be not stirred by the implications of everything that we see and hear. We really have to not know and to be aware of our reactions and thereby enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's a constant state of awareness, a kind of beginner's mind for life. Meister Eckhart's meditative state of being in a place where you realize that in reality you want for nothing, so there is nothing to do, and in fact we know nothing, wanting for nothing, willing nothing, and knowing nothing, is the description of that state. Eckhart says, people must be so empty of all things and all works that they become a proper home for God, wherein God may operate. People must be so empty of all things and all works that they become a proper home for God, wherein God may operate. He even goes on to say that we must rid ourselves of all our ideas about God. This is why he says, I pray, God, rid me of God. A true poverty of spirit does, that does not include an understanding of how it works. We're just left in this state of being in the present. In other words, to be in the kingdom of heaven. This world clearly seen. We cannot know how all this will pan out because such judgment is too wonderful for us. All we can know is that we are alive and we have a reason for being here. Well, on Friday, Ramadan begins. 
Um, and I found this wonderful poem uh, by Rabbi of Basra. She was a Muslim saint, a Sufi mystic, born in 715 in Basra. And it really shows that this understanding of knowing nothing goes right across all the different religions. This is a poem, it's called In My Soul by Rabbi of Basra. In my soul there is a temple, a shrine, a mosque, a church where I kneel. Prayer should bring us to an altar where no walls or names exist. Is there not a region of love where sovereignty is illuminated nothing, where ecstasy gets poured into itself and becomes lost, where the wing is fully alive but has no mind or body? In my soul, there is a temple, a shrine, a mosque, a church that dissolve, that dissolve in God. Let's pray. So we do open ourselves to all that's going on in the world at the moment. We open ourselves to see and to witness. We pray for all those who are ill right now, for their fear, to give them comfort and healing. Pray for all those who are looking after them selflessly, giving of what they can, with no expectation of return, giving out of love. We pray for our leaders that you may put into them soft hearts, hearts open to humanity, able to do the right thing for those around them. Particularly pray for those who are unable to deal with the virus because of the circumstances that they're in, people in refugee camps, prisons, hospitals, people who are in war zones, people who are homeless and hungry, undocumented people, people who are helpless. We pray for our first responders and police and delivery people, those working in grocery stores, cleaners, everybody who is helping on our behalf. We pray for anger and frustration around the world, that you may come into the hearts and minds and bring love. And we also pray for those who've specially been asked, uh, we've been asked to pray for people in, in our own community. Pray for Joan Downey, Connie Clancy's mother, recovering from hip surgery and a heart attack. For John from Clark's Farmery, pharmacy, who is getting much better and hopes to return to work soon, having recovered from a stroke. Rita Hunter, suffering from Lou Gehrig's disease. Heather Morrow, recovering from her brain injury at the Safer Learning Centre in Denver. Brett McKenzie, Jeff Bonds, Kevin Bedalian, suffering from Lyme disease. Petra Krimmel, suffering from cancer. 
Mayoran Boltz, Carolyn Glaze, mother who's ill. Diane Shelton, Michael Waters' sister, ongoing severe chemotherapy. Jim Stark, diagnosed with stomach and esophageal cancer. The O'Keefe family. Christopher Gavitt. Frankie Black, who's recovering. Ashley Morse, Heather Rydell's sister, who's a doctor on the front line at St. Joseph's Hospital in Denver. Christopher Thompson, CT, suffering from both mental and physical issues of the virus. The Fox Rubin family, who are still suffering from the virus. And Beverly Stern in hospital. Pray for all those people and ask your healing love to be sent to them. Amen. So we've just come to our offertory now. Um, we've really appreciated that, you know, you people have continued giving and we do understand that capacity is difficult at the moment. But if you do have capacity and you're able to give, it does really help us here at the chapel just keep going. Um, and we do are very grateful uh, for all you give. And Susan's going to play some music. Uh, the donate button is, is on, on the screen.